You're listening to the latest podcast from the Halftime Pie. In each episode, we talk with fellow football fans about various topics in the game today, sharing opinions on the goings-on at their club at the moment. The podcasts live at anchor.fm and on Spotify. They are also on our website where you can also read our opinionated football blogs. Just search for The Halftime Pie. And give us a follow on social media. We are on Twitter with the handle at underscore halftime pie. Okay, welcome to the latest um, podcast from the Halftime Pie. Um, tonight I am joined by a mate of mine, Matt Hansen, who's going to talk all about his time back in 2018 at Berry Football Club and give us a bit of an insight into the demise and how um, Berry ended up where they are today. So thanks for coming on, Matt. Thanks very much, Ian. Nice to uh, speak with you. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start then, um, just tell us about the role you had at Berry um, and how you got into that role. Yeah, so, I mean, as you know, I've had hired my business for a number of years, so I've always been sort of heavily involved in, in the business side of things. And as you're also aware, um, I'm a massive football fan as well. Yep. So when I saw a role advertised for someone with a passion for football and a passion for business, it sort of ticked every box for me. And um, I had a couple of interviews with the chief executive, Carl Evans. Um, he was sort of fronting up the football club. He'd been with Manchester United for well over 25 years um, at director level. So someone who highly respected within sort of the English Football League and, and obviously the Premier League when he was at United. So immediately hit it off with Carl um, and then met the, the chairman um, and the vice chairman, um, Stuart Day and Glenn Thomas, uh, for, for like a second round of interviews. And, you know, they selected me as the person they wanted to drive the club forward commercially, if you will, um, to generate revenue off the pitch um, and to, you know, take the club forward. So it was, it was a really exciting opportunity, but I didn't go into it blind. Um, you know, I was aware as a football club that Bury had a pretty checkered financial uh, history over recent times under, um, you know, the guidance of Stuart Day. So, you know, I, I didn't go into it blind. I was aware that there would be um, a lot of challenges. And I spoke to quite a few Bury fans that I know being, being a local lad, I, I know quite a few people who already supported the club and had businesses. And, you know, I was told by one or two not to touch it with a barge pole, but... You know the lure of being involved with a football club proved too much in the end. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Um, it'd probably be like just ideal, that wouldn't it? But you get mm. paid and uh, work at a football club as well. Absolutely. You know it's, um, the the build up to a match day was always so exciting. You know we'd be welcoming hospitality guests and and businesses that you know were at my invitation to try and build relationships with them, and to watch a football match and talk about football six, seven days a week was just, it was a dream job. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, the, the team was struggling massively at the time. Uh, they were in League One. And um, I think the day I walked into the building in January, Chris Lachetti was the, the, the manager and, and he was sacked that very day. Right. Um, so um, Ryan Law, who's now with Plymouth Argyle, he, he took the reins until the end of the season. But, um, you know, he was fighting a losing battle in reality because the team was already doomed. Um, a lot of players were on big money, but just not motivated to to do anything. Um, 
and it was the same off the pitch, to be honest with you. A lot of disgruntled sponsors and um, and fans, of course, because you know they were watching pretty poor football on a weekly basis. And you know yourself as a football fan, the minimum you ask for is is effort and application from the players, and they weren't getting that. So ultimately, it was a pretty toxic environment to go into. But um, you know, I was working hard towards the following season, the 2018-19 season, which ultimately saw Bury get promoted to League One from, from the League Two campaign that they had. Yeah, so you say people said, don't touch it with a barge pole. What what kind of things were they saying to you? I think that, you know, the club had a bad history, particularly with their suppliers. So, um, you know, people owed lots of money by the football club, local businesses, um, and, and the club very rarely put their hand in the pocket to pay them. And that was the reputation that went before them. There were also quite a few sponsors that had been promised this, that and the other, and it was never delivered. Um, so in reality, Bury being a relatively small town, everybody was aware that the football club carried a reputation that you know is, is not particularly desirable. And I, I found out very quickly how bad that was. I went to a networking meeting uh, under the main sort of networking group in Bury, which is called Best of Bury. And the guy that organised it had been involved with the club I think on two occasions before, you know, giving them a second chance. And he, he very quickly told me that I would find very few supporters within the business community because of the way the club had treated people in the past. And, and you know, I proved, that proved to be the case. But, I mean, there were some success stories. Um, but, you know, it was, if, if carry on, we're going to bring a, a franchise out in the future, it'd be a, a damn good model to call something carry on football because the, the business was pretty much run like a, a carry-on film at time. So, and that would have been under the stewardship of Stuart Day, would it have been? Yeah, that's right. He, he was the chairman until um, the December of 2018, where I think he sold the club for a pound, but I'd, I'd actually left by then, uh, as we'll probably come on to. But yeah, Stuart Day was the, the chairman, uh, a Walter Mitty-type character. Um, he never did anything wrong by me apart from not paying me at the end but yeah. again we'll probably come on to that but he he, he lived you know if, if if we were going for the stars he'd, he'd be going into whatever was the next thing on because he, he always aimed higher and you know fair play to him he's had success with various businesses but i think that's probably come at a cost to other people as well right. um the very fans found that out to their own cost sadly when when he sold the club to steve dale and you know the 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 rot had already set in, you know, and I think although both culpable, um, the club was in a complete mess when when he he sold it for a pound. So you say that um, you were kind of at these networking events told that the um, the way Berry Football Club had treated local businesses, you'd struggle to get anybody wanting to come on board. Um, but how did you how did you find that? How did you did you manage to get people on board or were, were people kind of, no, we've cut our losses, they've done it to us too many times? I think a, a mixture, to be honest with you. Um, I quickly found a really good ally in um, a lad who used to play at Man United um, called Daniel Nardiello. He started oh, yeah. out at Man United. Um, he played for Bury. He, he was living in the local area and he'd set up his own business as a financial advisor. Um, and I wasn't looking for anything from him per se in terms of sort of sponsorship or anything like that, but I felt that he'd be a really good ally for me. 
um, in talking to supporters, businesses, etc. So we set up a few of our own networking events and we sort of put a chicken carry on or whatever. And we had about 80 people um, on a Tuesday night game against Wimbledon. Right. And he came along absolutely brilliant. We're still in touch now. Um, and he was, like I say, a really good ally for me. He, he, he sort of gave my sort of role a bit of credibility by the fact that a former player, a local business, was working with the football club. Um, and we, we grew a bit of support from that. And clearly he had a story to tell because he was a footballer and, and now in business himself. So it helped him as well uh, because he was getting his own sort of self-employed business off the ground. And we worked really well together and it started building people coming to the club, uh, looking at opportunities. There was one particular company that had fallen out with the football club, but I hit it off with him and he was prepared to give us a, another chance again. So slowly we started to to build that bit of credibility. And in the March, looking ahead to the 2018-19 season, um, I came up with a sponsorship idea called a stand for a grant. And basically it was local businesses and um, you pay a thousand pound plus that and you go into a draw, but every single business would win a prize. So the winner would ultimately have a stand named after their business. Right. And instead of paying 15 or 20,000 pound, which is what the sort of average would be at that level, it, they were going to get it for a thousand pound. But if you didn't, the, the minimum you could you could win was um, a pitch side board. So oh, the yeah. business would have that exposure on, you know, the Sky Football League highlights, the Quest highlights and all the rest of it. Um, so it was a win-win because then boards were 500 quid, say. Um, so that was the worst you were going to get for your thousand pound. But a lot of the prizes were sort of, we had um, short sponsors, so the back of shorts and things like that. Um, the academy sides, it was it was quite a healthy pot. But just like everything else in my time at Bury, that went spectacularly wrong as well. Um, so we set it up and we, we started selling these tickets. And, uh, you know, it was a bit like a Charlie in the Chocolate Factory type scenario. Who's going to get the golden ticket? Who's going to yeah. win this stand? And, and I employed a couple of people on a self-employed basis um, to go out on a, on a commission-only uh, level and a guy from from the other side of the Pennines came over from Sheffield uh, mad keen to work within football wanted to prove himself uh, he'd worked with Sky TV and a couple of other companies he seemed decent enough obviously I'm, I don't really want to be naming names but he, he seemed quite plausible and um, he started going out and within a matter of days he was selling five or six of these tickets and I'm thinking bloody hell this is this is really good and I'm left with egg on my face here because okay. I'm going back to the chief executive, Carl Evans, saying, you know, we've sold eight this week and he sold six of them. And he's like, bloody hell, he's going to be taking your job at this rate. <laughs> and it, it just, something triggered one day. He said he was going to see um, a local estate agent to sign them up because uh, they wanted to have a ticket. And the same agent had ultimately booted me out of their offices, you know, a week or two before because they didn't want any involvement with the football club and I, I started to smell a rat. Yeah. And uh, I, um, I, I received a call from a company in Bury um, who we'd sent an invoice to to pay this £1,000. 
and he, he said, we've never met this person. We don't know who he is. Um, there's something not quite right here. So I went to see them because obviously acutely aware of what reputation the club had within yeah. the local business community. Um, I was twitching about what to what extent this was. Um, and ultimately I found every single business that he said he'd signed up was just something he'd, he'd made up. Um, and it just made us look stupid because we were in the local press saying, you know, this we were having all these businesses sign up, come and engage with a football club. Uh, you know, we want the business community to be part of of the success of the club moving forward. And uh, it just went spectacularly wrong he, it, to, to the tune where he he told me and he's also told, you know, the chief executive and the chairman that he had a deal lined up. Um, for a company who wanted to sponsor the training facility, which was at Carrington. Um, so it was Manchester City's old training ground at Carrington. Uh, fantastic facility, way out of League One standards. Uh, but Bury had, had sort of put their name to this contract and they were prepared to pay a very hefty five-figure fee to be involved with that. And, you know, everyone was thinking, this is great. But aware of what was starting to unfold, I put a call into the director of the business, and it was a company based over in Sheffield. And I just said, and they were involved with Sheffield United as well, so they were a reputable firm. And um, I, I just said to him, I said, "Look, I said, I really appreciate your interest in the football club, but I just need to check a few things." And he said, "What interest?" Oh, so then I, I went <laughs> asked him, "Do you know ABC?" Yeah. And um, he said, yeah, I do. He said, the last time I saw him, uh, a group of lads from our football team had paid £30 each for a training kit. And we never saw the training kit. And we didn't see him again. <laughs> so he, he clearly had form for it. And then I received a call from um, someone else who lived in Sheffield saying, well, I'm trying to track this guy down as well. Um, he'd sold... When I think Sheffield Wednesday had got to a playoff final in the championship a, a few years ago, but maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. And um, they'd sold some hospitality tickets for two grand a piece. And again, they turned upon the day, waiting for a handover of tickets. And the money had changed hands, but the tickets never did. So just a complete and utter. But it, it summed up the club, really, to be honest with you. Um, kind of one and it, disaster it, to another. Well, it really did, and, and he he was unaware that I was onto it, and I just said, look, um, you know, why don't you come over? We were playing against Wigan Athletic, Wigan uh, under Paul Cook at the time, and they were just about to gain promotion from League One to the Championship, and um, I said, why don't you come over? There's quite a big crowd on. Um, the chairman will want to see you with these deals you've been doing, and, you know, as a gesture of goodwill for all the work you've been doing. We'll, we'll get you the money in cash because um, he, he was a commission-only agent, so we'd not physically give him any money. Um, so he, he said, brilliant. He said, I'll be there at half 11. So I'd teed up Carl Evans, the chief exec, and Carl's one of the most placid blokes you could meet, really nice fella. Still in touch with him now. When we, we, well, we'll go out for a beer when we obviously can legally, yeah. but uh, he um, just a, a really sound bloke, someone who you, you rarely see lose his temper. Um, and he had all these invoices lined up on his desk and we called him in and I didn't know what was going to be said, but we, we started asking the question. He'd give us a credit card for the payment for one of the sponsors. 
which actually turned out to be his old, bizarrely, when, when, when push came to shove, because I was wanting to get the police involved, thinking that he was using fraudulent details, but it, it actually all turned out it was him and it was just this, this bizarre existence. But yeah. basically the invoices became like confetti when Carl stood up and just ultimately ripped everything up in front of him and demanded that he never see his face ever again. But I, I thought in that moment he were going to snot him up. But thankfully <laughs> uh, he held that bit back, but I, I'd never seen him like that. And then we just laughed because if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. It was it was that far-fetched and it probably sums up the football club in a nutshell, really, that, that period. But having said that, you know, uh, a local business did win that Stanford Grand. They were a, a local accountancy business. And uh, it was run by two women, and women and football um, is quite a good feel factor story. You know, yeah. only this week, I think Sky have announced they're um, going to be, you know, promoting the women's game. We broadcasting live fixtures, etc. So yeah, right. it was a really good news story in the end. And and you know, nothing really got out about the misdemeanors of this lad apart from within the walls of uh, of the football club. But they can <laughs> be rather creepy walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, what would, um, there's obviously a few characters floating around and, and some decent people as well. Any other people that, that you worked with during your spell at Berry that kind of stood out? Well, I mean, the, 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 the team at Gig Lane in terms of the staff working behind the scenes were, were just ardent Berry fans. And if they weren't Berry fans, they were in love with the club through, through work. Um, you know, there's a classic example. There's a family. Um, the Curtis family and at the time they'd done 110 years service between them John the the mum was late 70s early 80s still working there at the club Um, lived and breathed it her father uh, had played for the football club um, and it was I think he was the most capped international player to play for Bury and then her children Michael was the groundsman Uh, he still cuts the grass now free of charge yeah. to manicure it and make sure that that football pitch is ready for action should it ever be needed again. So he's, you know, he's attracted worldwide attention really as this person who's absolutely devoted to his job. Um, and then there's Lynn, his sister, and she'd been with the football club ever since sort of leaving school. So between the three of them, they had over 110 years worth of service to that football club. Yeah. And, you know, you could, I mean, Joan, the, the mother, actually lived right opposite Gig Lane. So she'd be first one in, last one out. And just, she epitomised everything about the football club. And, and the people behind the scenes tended to be fans as well. That You know, the girl Gemma in the media department and her sidekick, Ben, both young people who had worked for the club for a few years, but had supported the club. So it was, you know, it was, excuse me. It was almost vocational for a lot of people working for the the guy who did the programs, Gordon. um, I think he was, he wrote the programs for 17 or 18 years and he had a cave full of every picture that had ever been produced and every program, every story and article. He he was sort of the archives behind the scene and all great people. um, But the club was missing sort of, that direction because uh, you know business wise yeah because it wasn't being run ethically sadly you know we'd regularly have to fend off bailiffs you know that, that was a, a regular occurrence at the football club 
and often if if Carl wasn't around, I'd be the next one sort of in line to to deal with it because it was rare you'd see the chairman on a non-match day. He would either be at Carrington at the training ground or um, you know doing his other business activities. So ultimately, I'd have to be fending off bailiffs on a weekly basis, and some of these sums were for hundreds of pounds, and some of these sums were hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah. Um, it really did vary, and it was quite you know it, it hit on every every week that the club was was suffering and you know you get towards the end of the month and you'd be thinking is this the month we don't get paid but yeah. they always found it you know Stuart Day I, you know people will knock him and, and I'll probably knock him but in reality he made sure that people were paid every single month um, and if anyone wasn't to be paid it would tend to be the players um, and he'd have to deal with them uh, in his own way yeah would they would the players be kind of safeguarded in terms of the EFL? Was was there anything? Um, would any sort of payment come from elsewhere, or or were they kind of? Yeah, I think in the end, I mean the the players were always pretty flexible. I think um, you know there were some of them on big money. You know that that side that was relegated had people like Jermaine Beckford in the squad, and he'd been injured for long periods. Yeah, I mean you can imagine. By League One standards, the the money that Bury were shelling out was promotion material. You know, if you, you look at all the pundits for that season, Bury were relegated, and a lot of them were predicting that Bury would go up because there were some some heavyweight players uh, in that squad. A, a guy called Chris Maguire who played at Sheffield Wednesday before and, and Coventry, he'd come after a successful season at, at Oxford, and it goes to show that since he was in that side that was relegated, Sunderland took him on. So, you know, clearly a player with talent, but yeah. for whatever reason, you know, these lads were on big money and it just wasn't wasn't happening. So the players were, would ultimately be safeguarded by the PFA. They'll be making the contributions into yeah. uh, the Players Football Association. And, and you know, I think in the end, uh, certainly not during my time, but in the end when, when things went drastically wrong, they were safeguarded to a certain amount, if not all. Um, and the PFA was... We're, we're to step in to help them because obviously if you're playing football at League One and League Two, I'm contradicting myself slightly by saying some of these lads were on big wages. But the reality is, in a short career, um, you know, a, a lot of them probably wouldn't have budgeted to not be paid for um, a couple of months or even longer than that in some instances. And, and therefore, just like everybody else, um, you know, they, they would be hit accordingly. And, and I think quite a few of them were. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I mean, it's a bit like with Bolton. Um, I suppose if you get a certain wage and a certain lifestyle, um, you kind of live within that, don't you? So you might buy the bigger house yeah. or whatever, and you just expect that you'll get paid every month. And it's no yeah. fault of the players that they think, right? You know, I've got these bonuses and signing on fees and and contracts. Then you do like everybody else does. If you get a pay rise in your own job, you think, right, I can upgrade my car. I can, upgrade, you know, and then suddenly when it's not being uh, the money is drying up. It is scary, and it's and it's throwing them on really. And, and you talk about sort of investing in your future as well. You know, I had a, a player within that squad who came to my office and said, "There's a problem with my pension." You know, he'd been paying in on a three-year contract a sizable percentage of his wages, and there were about fifty pound in his pension pot. And I still think there's a big thing to come out about that um, because I myself paid in out of my wages and like you say everything's scalable so it was nothing like what this guy had had sort of endured but 
he was having money taken out of his wages every week or every month, however frequently he was being paid. Um, and ultimately, there was nothing in his pension account to show for that. And, you know, I, I still think that someone somewhere will be held accountable for that because I've got my own issue with my own pension. Yeah, it's, um, that could be a right kind of worms, couldn't it, really, that? It could, yeah. You know, it, obviously, it's a criminal offence and, and therefore I can't really say too much on it. But all I can say is that I contributed and I've, I've got nothing in my pension pot in the, for the time that I was with the club, which is obviously only a minimal amount because it was only 10 months. So you mentioned uh, Ryan Lowe come in. Um, you mentioned a couple of the players. In terms of that, that season, they did ultimately go down to League Two, didn't they? But they yeah. bounced back then the season after. Um, do you know what sort of budgets and money was being f thrown at that squad at that time? Because um, Lowe seemed to do some really good things with Barry, didn't he? He did. I mean, obviously, from the side that went down, there were some big earners that clearly couldn't be retained. Um, you know, the gulf between League One and League Two probably isn't that great. But in terms of commercial revenues, in terms of players' wages, you know, it, it, it's a sizable difference. Um, so a lot of the players left the club and he brought in new blood um, to, to take it forward. But the, the playing budget was still massively over what you'd see with other clubs. You know, I'll remember when Carlisle United came to Bury and um, David Holdsworth was their director of football. And we were chatting just about sort of the constraints of uh, fair play and things like that, uh, the financial fair play. And he openly said, you know, our playing budget's 1.3 million pounds. And from the numbers I'd seen, Bury's was probably twice that amount. Um, so it gives you an indication of that whilst you know, the club was trying to trim its cloth. It was still, you know, running totally off the rails. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The numbers just didn't add up. And, you know, I was quickly seeing myself that, you know, I was banging my head against a brick wall. We, we I inherited the sponsor, um, a company called Tappet. And you'll probably have seen yourself, particularly continentally now, a lot of these football clubs now become cashless. And I think after we come out of the pandemic and fans are back in stadiums, this will be a massive uh, business piece. But a lot of clubs now are going cashless and you'll use your season ticket card, which you can load money on. And Tappet did that. And they used Berry um, to ultimately get a, a footprint uh, within the UK market. And they've done deals since with Man City, Birmingham City, uh, and a couple of others where they've they've sort of started to get their cards involved. But they were the principal sponsor of the football club. And believe it or not, going into that 2018-19 season, I know you've had a season ticket at Man United for many years, and I always had one at Burnley. And season ticket cards have been out for years and years and years. Bury had always gone for the booklet and the, the voucher that yeah, tear yeah. off, yeah. give to the turnstile. And... You know, we were trying to take them into um, the modern era, so to speak. But then you look at the age demographic of supporters, and I think the average age of a Berry fan was about 57 years of age. So educating and converting, you know, we, we brought these cards out. We loaded £10 on each of the cards. And the idea was that they would top money up. And when they went for a pie at half time or a beer in the social club or whatever it is, 
they'd be able to use these cards and the name Tap It is as it sounds. We, we're all contactless these days and you tap it and away you go. And, and that was the idea behind it. And they wanted to really invest in the football club. And it was just horrendous, you know, trying to uh, mobilise that that action plan was was just appalling because we we a lot of the um, carousels around the ground, the, the food and beverage counters, it's, it's a franchise, you know, so it's not actually the football club. So then we were having to speak to them to say, can we use this card? And, you know, can you give us the money back off it and all the rest of it? And it was just a minefield. And it quickly became apparent that the relationship with them was rapidly breaking down because the club just didn't embrace the relationship. And, you know, it was almost like, we've got that money, let's move on to the next. So you'd go on to the next one and Thomas Cook Sport is a massive name within um, sporting events, or it was prior to Thomas Cook's demise. But Thomas Cook Sport were um, a sponsor of the football club. And, you know, they'd pay their money up front for the season. And then we'd be booking hotels for the players when they were going on on trips to Milton Keynes or Portsmouth or wherever they were going. And um, ultimately, the uh, team travel as well, the, the coach, and uh, we just didn't pay them. So we were getting money with one hand. And whilst we should have been giving it back with the other for the services that they were providing as a sponsor, we just never did. And, you know, I'll always remember I was sat in in uh, at the Algarve in Albufeira, sat in a bar on a lads trip and I got a phone call. Um, Stephen Gerrard had just took over as manager of Rangers and his very first game was against Bury in a friendly. Ryan Law and Gerrard, both scousers, both know each other. It was just a, a perfect fit for that first game. And um, as you can imagine, a lot of fans wanted to go up um, and it sparked a, a massive interest but the fans were at Gig Lane waiting to board the coach, but the coach doors <laughs> wouldn't open until they'd received the payment. And I was sat in the Algarve and got a phone call, can you sort it out? And I'm saying, well, surely someone there can sort it out. No, there's nothing. So I had to pay for it and claim it back. And that was a long drawn out process as well, as you can probably imagine. So it was just, it was, it was you'd do anything to help them. Um, and, you know, I can't complain about the way I was ever treated, but, you know, it, you knew that it, you were dancing with the devil. More around their methods, would you say, I suppose? Mm. Like... Very much so. It was, you know, very difficult at times. Yeah. So you, you had to pay in Portugal, you had to pay out your own pocket to get these Berry fans to Rangers and then fight to get your money back at a later date. Yeah. Yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> Crikey. So, so how did things end and or start? How did the, the end for you start and talk through that and how, and how it impacted on you? So, well, I mean, if I'm honest with you, I knew it were coming. Um, the club had started the new season and it started pretty well. Um, we had a new kit, which we'd engaged the fans with. So it was a, the kit was um, chosen by the fans. We had a poll. Um, so there was a really positive engagement piece, but all the time behind the scenes, things were starting to unravel. And I was becoming really demotivated because I'd brought in what I thought was a realistic commercial value. And I was constantly being told that 
you know, we used to do this, we used to do that. And one day I was basically through the uh, changing rooms. Um, there's like a couple of storage cupboards and I found an old whiteboard um, with all the commercial revenues that the club had generated three or four years before. And I went through it and thought, let's see, you know, is there anything I'm missing out on here? Is there anything I can improve? And I'd gone through it and literally every business that was on there was either retained, which, you know, that was part of my job to retain it and get new work in, uh, new revenue in. But a lot of them were businesses that had fell out with a football club. And, you know, the, it's easy to get a customer or a, a sponsor. The hardest bit is retaining them because, you know, you've got them there. You've got to make sure that you, you keep them. And as a football club, there were so many burnt bridges and people talk as well. So then that made people even more sceptical. There was another guy who was a regular sponsor and he was a massive fan. And he just came to me on the eve of the season and said, not doing it this year. And then somebody else said, I'm not doing it this year. And even though the club on the pitch found success in that season, that 18-19 that season, off the pitch, things were just unravelling. And then the chairman had a, a vision that, the main stand would be converted into a hotel and it would ultimately become a seven-day business. And we've seen that happen at a lot of football clubs now because match day revenues are not enough anymore for a club of Bury's size. And as a town, Bury is quite a flourishing town, you know, a lot of positive business. Um, probably missing, apart from the village hotel on the side of the motorway, probably missing a, a good quality hotel in the centre of town by your Premier Inns and your travel lodges, etc. You know, it, it sounded a great idea, um, but it was it was still pie in the sky, and you still wondered where the investment was coming from. So they, they actually brought somebody in to oversee um, that strategy, um, and that was it was pretty clear to me that you know she she would ultimately take on the commercial side of the business as well, um, and that's ultimately what happened. And for whatever, well, we just didn't hit it off because I knew my cards were marked at the highest level. Um, and I was probably a bit disrespectful to her, to be honest with you. I was probably, um, you know, I was, I was fed up. I was angry. I realised that my time was coming to an end and, you know, the relationship with this person wasn't wasn't that great. Um, since then, you know, I, I still speak to her now because um, it's not the people. It's, it's sadly part of the culture that you become embroiled in. And, uh, you know, I, I knew my days were numbered. I knew that the club owed me money from... Um, sponsorship deals and commissions that were part of my contract. Um, and therefore, I, I asked for that money. And, you know, within days of that happening, uh, I was told I was no longer required and was surplus to requirements. So um, that was early November 2018. Um, so we agreed what was owed and agreed, you know, how that would be paid. And the first payment was met. And I think that was more to do with... Cal Evans's loyalty towards me to try and get me paid than anything else. Um, and then I was told that the football club was being sold for a pound and that a new guy, Steve Dale, was going to be taking on the football club and um, that my debt would be transferred because the football club would still be in business. Uh, it would just under be under different ownership. So um, I then sort of pursued what was all through the new ownership um, but yeah, from from November two thousand eighteen, my my time at the club had, had come to an end. So you say that Day had 
sold it for a pound to Steve Dale. What what's your understanding of what went wrong then? Because it, it seems to have spectacularly un, unraveled from there, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you know Steve Dale came in, and you know it was almost like a, a, a grandfather press conference. You know he was going to come and. I think he called it the old girl and he was going to look after the old girl this and he was going to do this. He was going to protect the heritage of the football club, but he was going to do it diligently. Um, and I think in reality, you know, what conversations took place and what contracts were exchanged, I, I, I would never know. But, you know, he'd come in as this fairy grandfather um, and he... he quickly reneged on the promises that he'd he'd said in terms of, you know, bringing money into the football club and stabilising it. Um, you know, they, they were struggling to keep their heads above water and there was no investment going into the football club, which it clearly needed because there were umpteen suppliers threatening to pull the plug. You know, you had the energy companies threatening to pull the floodlights on a Tuesday night game and things like that. It was It was that serious and, you know, the whole thing was crumbling. And it desperately needed this cash injection to get them through to the end of the season, at least. Um, and it was just never forthcoming. So the staff then weren't paid. Um, the players weren't getting paid. Um, you know, the supporters were riding on the crest of the wave of the fact that the club were getting promoted. But behind the scenes, day by day, piece by piece, it all started unravelling. And, you know, I, I picked up on this as early as the January because obviously I was owed money. And I met the the director that was working for um, Steve Dale, a guy called Matt McCarthy, who uh, I'd met whilst in position because um, he was like a like a sales agent, and he he was introducing potential sponsors to the football club. Um, but he, you know, he was nice as pie. Said they were going to look after me. Would I like to be a guest at a forthcoming game? And you know, they're all about. Um, you know, continuity and wanted to retain uh, relationships with people, no no ill feel feelings, etc. So, yeah, absolutely fine. You know, I just need this money by the end of February because um, I'd moved house in the November. The day that I was, uh, my contract terminated, I moved house. Right. So it, it was quite worrying times, as you absolutely. can probably imagine. Um, but I'd said, you know, I need this money by the end of February. And he, yeah, looked me in the eye and said, you'll, you'll have it, no problem. And then he never answered another email, another call. Um, and he quickly himself found himself um, leaving the football club. I don't know what went on there, um, but he was um, having to front a lot of the abuse that Steve Dale was ultimately getting at the end. And and I think, you know, he had either got in too deep or um, given up as a bad job. So it was, it was just the whole thing from the second the bloke took over was just a complete myth, um, as it had been under the previous tenure, to be honest with you. So the supporters were, were being shortchanged, but with every passing day, increased the volume of debt to the football club, uh, well, against the football club, um, to the point where it exploded and, and the club ultimately folded or they couldn't meet the promises of the uh, of what they'd said to the EFL. And there were, you know, an expulsion followed by the EFL uh, with regards to Berry's status as a football league club. So Gig Lane's still there. The guy's yeah. the guy's still mowing the pitch, and in the hope that one day there'll be a game of football on it. And we know that these uh, the Phoenix Club are set up and yeah. running. Are you, do you know what you know? Whatever happened to the Curtis family? Are they? Because 
I get this feeling that there's a bit of a split between the fan base, and I don't know whether you're what you know of this, but some still want Berry FC, and some have gone to the Phoenix Club, and there's a little bit of a fraction there. I don't, what's happening there? Do you know, have, have loyalties been split, and have, have some gone to the Phoenix, or is that very much separate? I think a lot, a lot of people have gone to watch the AFC Berry setup, uh, but I do think it's very much all about egos. I think you've got a lot of people that want to play football manager and um, you know run a football club from top to bottom and see it as an opportunity and, and as a result I think there's a lot of infighting um, I, I think that you know people who have previously said on record they'd never watch another football club other than Bury Football Club are now high flying within the AFC structure by saying well it's still Bury it's this that and the other each to their own I say um, what, what I did learn very early on is that the people from within the football club who, you know, I'd said before, you know, found their job vocational. I didn't see any of them sort of moving over to this AFC Berry structure. I didn't see any of them involved in that. And um, and I'm not talking high positions here in terms of what these people did, but they were part of the fabric of the football club. And yet you've got this new existence now, which seems to me to be a lot of people that were on the periphery of, of Bury itself, you know, there's people within that structure and that board that never even watched, used to go and watch Bury, you know, and then all of a sudden you see him popping up, I'm a lifetime fan, it's a dream come true, um, complete and utter yeah. rubbish. Um, so it is, I mean, I'd, but on the other hand, you know, I've got a mate who went watching Bury home and away and took his lad, and you'll be able to relate to this week with you and your lads where you take them to games. And he goes watching AFC Berry now because it's what he does on a Saturday. And before that, he'd go and watch Ramsbottom. He just wanted to take his lad to a game. But yeah. because of the Berry connection and now AFC Berry are up and running, he will take his lad to watch them. And, and that will be part of their future relationship. And it's, it is, you think, like the father-son relationship of going to watch football. And that probably epitomises what... It should all be about. It should be about people enjoying their lives and what's happened at Bury, both with the football club itself and and then the Phoenix Club, is that there's too many prima donnas and too much going on for people to actually look at things in an ethical way. And and I'm, I'm not saying the AFC structure is not ethical because, in fairness, it is. It, it seems to be run pretty well in terms of like the way the membership's done, the way they vote for thing, things. But but it is a you know a, a jobs for the boys network if you will um, and and as a result you know whether that's got a long term uh, future I don't know but if if they're providing football to the people of Bury and supporters want to go and watch them then fair play yeah uh, what would you say is the future for Bury FC is, well is the, the, other, the other I really don't know um, I think there was a false dawn a few months ago there was a guy. Um, who put in to buy the football club um, and I think the key to the football club is the actual stadium you know it's mortgaged up to the hilt um, the numbers don't add up and you know whoever takes it on is taking on a, a, a massive risk uh, but this guy appeared to back it up with you know a business plan and um, the first thing I'd want to do with it is make it a community pitch and go 4G because you're going to be playing non-league football, so therefore you can have it. Um, and therefore it becomes a seven-day business and maybe in time 
they could build those facilities, whether it be offices, whether it be hotel, whatever, because it is a cracking plot of land and, you know, you'll have been yourself in your time. Um, And it, you know, it it has an opportunity to be a real community hub. Um, And I think for non-league football, that is the way a lot of them look at it now, because if you've got floodlights and you've got 4G, that can be your junior sides on a, a Monday, your women's football on a Tuesday, you know, disabled football, anything that involves the community. Because what Bury has, has not done um, is engage with particularly the business community, but the wider community for, for a long time. Um, I know that they're, you know, the community trust for Bury did particularly well in fairness to them, but they were coming up against the obstacle of the football club. But to have a, you know, and everybody on board, everyone aligned um, foundation where, you know, you know what you want and you know what you want to achieve. I think that would be a fantastic place for Bury to be and, and to to go again as their original status, um, but in, in the non-league setup. Because I think you read that they can be reintroduced at national league level, level even, uh, or, or, or the league below, and that would be a fantastic opportunity to be back in the Football League within two or three seasons, or if, if they're not financially robust enough to do that, to just try and lay them foundations for a safe and long-term strategy for the football club and the community. So looking back on your time at Bury, um, any regrets? No, I, I don't really, because if I hadn't done it, I'd have always thought, what if, you know, I could have done that or I could have done that better. And in reality, I probably came up short because, uh, you know, I think I, I run into too many uh, dead ends, really, with, with regards to what I did. Um, and do you know what? You come out of it and you think, I mentioned about Carl Evans earlier on. He was the chief executive. And he said to me over a pint, he said, in the end, he said, I thought you'd be the person that would be able to bring a load of new business to this football club. He said, and what I saw was, the best relationship builder I've come across. He said, but in terms of hard sell, hunting new business, you just weren't there. Um, and we do, we laugh about it because that that side of it, the relationship building and dealing with people, I absolutely loved it. Um, but I did find attracting new business really difficult because in the back of my mind were the doubts about would they actually get paid? Would, you know, would, 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 the sponsor get out of it what they should have been, um, which is a partnership. And, you know, it was all one way. And, and, and I'll, I don't want to harbor on too much about it, but we we brought in a catering contractor. And my words to the guy was beforehand is that, you know, make sure that you're getting paid on a regular basis because I don't want you knocking on my door um, about the fact you're not getting paid because the football club were notoriously bad payers. And that went... I mean, it started off gourmet food almost. It finished up, you wouldn't feed your kids with it. You know, it was that's how bad because they weren't getting paid. So the product they were providing became increasingly uh, poor. And, and as a result, everyone was in uproar because the food was just appalling. But they were self-inflicted wounds on behalf of the football club. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating insight, I must admit. I really appreciate you taking the time to um to come on um it's obviously kind of had one eye on it and it's all been in the local news and only living down the road from it but it's nice to get that kind of perspective of somebody who was even for a a period of time 
having to put up with what was really going on behind the scenes. So it is fascinating and it's, it's a bit heartbreaking really, isn't it, when you hear things like the Curtis family, because every football club will have the stalwarts, the, pe- the, the die in the wall, people who will go through come hell or high water, won't they? And it's a shame really, but uh, so I really appreciate you uh, giving us a bit of an insight into it. No worries at all, mate. No, cheers. So I'm sure we'll, um, I'll have to get you on again another time. Um, get you chatting about Burnley or uh, anything yep. else you want to talk about there's plenty to tell I could write a book couldn't I, I think <laughs> so I'll, I'll wrap it up now uh, Matt thanks thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll speak again soon okay thanks Ian alright cheers pal cheers